Um, so I used to have a motorcycle, and I, I, I loved this thing when I was younger. Yeah, there I am. Not really, but that's, in my mind, that's what I looked like. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like uh, one of those ninjas or a hurricane. It wasn't a um, sport bike or, or, or anything like that. It was just a street bike. Uh, it wasn't a Harley. I mean, there was nothing, you know, extraordinary or, or, or too, you know, fantastic about it. But, it, was, but it. but I loved it. It was like a, a Kawasaki. 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 That's how we say it in Texas. Uh, I think it was a 750 or something, you know. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too little. But, it, but it, was, it was my motorcycle. If you've ever had a motorcycle or ridden one, then I don't have to explain to you how that feels, what that's like. Now, if you've never had one, I'm going to try my best to, to get you to understand what it's like. But it, if you've had one, there's sort, of a, a, there's sort of a brotherhood among those who've had one. And then, of course, those who have Harleys, that's another, you know, that's another little sect. But... And, and, and you're, only partial, you know, you're only kind of tolerated by them if you don't have one. But, but still, uh, it's still a motorcycle. It's got two wheels. You've ever seen one? All right. It has a motor in the middle. And, and so it is just, if you've ever had one, there is nothing like it. It's not like a car. Now, a car, when you're 16 and you first get your license, that's the coolest thing in the world. Because you push the pedal and it goes, you know? And the harder you push the pedal, the faster it goes. And when you're 16 or 17 like I was, you test that to the limits, right? That's why maybe they, you know, they're thinking about maybe not giving licenses to 16 and 17-year-olds. I don't know. Now that I'm older, maybe I'm for that. But when I was young, man, that was freedom. That was a thrill. But it was nothing like having a motorcycle. See, I never knew. I got a motorcycle out of uh, necessity. I was in school, uh, and I was riding the bus, um, you know, out on the corner, waiting for the bus, getting on the bus, riding the bus to school. And I was getting tired of riding the bus. Some kind of, sorry, I needed some kind of transportation. And uh, that was a cheap kind of form of transportation. I also thought, hey, the, the gas is going to be cheap. People were telling me, you get 70 miles per gallon in a, in a, on a motorcycle. So I got one, and I thought, this is just out of necessity. I'm being practical. And, and I don't understand why my mom was okay with this. This is when I was 18. I had just uh, you know, recently graduated high school, and I was starting you know, college and and I don't know why she went for this. She's a very cautious person. But she allowed me to do certain things like this, you know, skateboarding and then the motorcycle for some reason. I guess the grace of God on her just, she thought, just let him be a young man. I don't know. And so I remember the first time my uncle took me out to kind of give me lessons on how to ride it. He'd had one for years. The first time you ride on those two wheels... And now, instead of pushing the pedal to go, you've got your hand on the handlebar, and you're, you pull the grip back. And it's like the accelerator. And, I mean, you're connected to it because it's not just your foot touching the pedal now. Your hand is wrapped around the grip. You become one with the bike. You pull it, and you go. And you go, you go fast. It feels fast. You could be going the same, you know, 40 miles an hour, a car next to you 40 miles an hour. In the car, they're going, I'm going too slow. But on a motorcycle, you look down and you see the street passing by. You know, the, the gravel pebbles are going. And you feel the wind in your hair, you know. It sounds like I'm making this up, like it's too poetic. It, it really is a thrill. And so I got to where I wanted to go places, you know. I would just look for excuses just to to go ride the motorcycle around, you know. I think I'll go up to school and do some extra work, you know, just so I could ride my motorcycle. And I, I just really loved it. And then eventually I, um, I had moved to Phoenix for a year and went to a school there. And in Phoenix, it was really cool because it was really hot. And so to, I had my own little air conditioning system. I would, I would soak my T-shirt in the sink because it's, I mean, when I say hot, I mean hot, you know, 115 degrees or whatever. And I put the T-shirt on, wet, sock and wet, and then to ride down the street 
And then when I got to my destination, it was dry, you know. It probably didn't smell very good, but it was dry. That was also my washing system, too, you know. It's just like kill two birds with one stone. So, yeah, Rebecca, when I met her, she corrected all that for me with her gift of administration and helps. So, uh, anyway, I do want to read. Let's read out of Ephesians. Let's get in your Bibles. There's two, uh, two main places that I want you to have it. Um, and it's in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. But let's look at Ephesians 4 first. Ephesians 4, 4 through 13. And I'm going to read this before we get started. So we're going to be talking about some gifts this morning um, that I think sometimes get, get kind of neglected. Now Luke's going to get to talk about all the fun ones like tongues and prophecy and stuff. He's actually going to preach the first half of his sermon in tongues. And we'll have someone interpreting. I'm kidding. But... That would be fun, wouldn't it? How come no one in, interprets the gift of teaching? But anyway, um, but it gets neglected, these things. Uh, and so uh, let me just go ahead and read this. Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he left a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does that mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles... The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I just want to stop there and and I want to point out a couple of differences between um, motorcycle and a bicycle. Now, if you're a cyclist and you like to strap on the uh, spandex with the butt pads, uh, I'm not trying to, I, I'm not downing that at all whatsoever. I mean, I, that, that takes work. That's hard work. That's, I mean, that's awesome. But there is a major difference between riding a bicycle and a motorcycle. You're probably already thinking about what that is. One of them has a motor, right? And it isn't you. Now, on a bicycle, you're the thing that makes it go. It's got wheels, you know, pedals. If you don't push the pedal, the bike isn't going, unless you go downhill. Okay. So it's just, I'm in West Texas now, it's flat, okay? So, no hills. So it's, it's not going anywhere unless you do the pedals, all right? And the faster you make, you know, turn those pedals, and the stronger your leg muscles, then the faster you go. And, of course, you can change gears and stuff, and... and and you might have a, like a super awesome bike that weighs, you know, one pound. It's made of graphite or whatever they make those. Yeah, Luke's just looking at me like, yeah. Anyway, he's a cyclist. Um, but that's what riding a bike is. Riding a motorcycle is different, though. Um, now, riding a motorcycle is turning on the engine, right? If, if, if you don't turn on the engine, you're not going anywhere unless you go downhill. And that could be dangerous. But... You turn on the engine, and then you accelerate, and then you go, right? The motorcycle is what carries you. That's a major difference. We need to think about that as we're talking about these things. Let's start with it. There, there are a few gifts that I really want to uh, kind of pick on, but I don't want you to think that that means that I think that this is a comprehensive list of gifts. I don't think there's any indication in Scripture that these lists that were given are comprehensive gifts necessarily. I don't think so. Um, but they are the ones that, you know, God in his wisdom through the Holy Spirit chose for people to write down. And, and so the ones I'm going to mo- mainly be talking about today are administration, helping, evangelism, um, the apostolic gifting, pastoring, teaching, leadership, uh, those things. And I want to start with just kind of looking at the apostolic gift. That's a weird one. Like for me, just me. Because growing up in my, uh, you know, tradition that I grew up in, the church I grew up in, that we didn't use words like apostolic. 
That, that was just like, uh, the, that was on the church sign of the weird church down the street. Like, you know, whatever, sunrise, apostolic, whatever. And I was, you know, we were always told steer clear of that, you know, but they never explained what that was. There was no such thing as, as the apostolic gifting in, in my church growing up, except in, in reading the New Testament. We knew that, that there were apostles, and that was it. But really, it's not that mystical of a thing. And we're not talking about those apostles. When I talk about the apostolic gift, I'm not talking about Apostle Paul and, uh, you know, the apostles, Peter, uh, John. Those ones that wrote the New Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about that kind of, that's, that's different. They, they wrote authoritative, infallible scripture through the Holy Spirit, okay? But there still is an apostolic gift. We see that clearly because... Uh, we're told that we're given apostles. And then we're told that we're given those along with all these, these other gifts, evangelists, shepherds. We're told that we're given those. So that gives us, that, that tells us that, that that word means something other than just the title for Paul. He was the apostle Paul. See, apostle, we've, we've been taught, um, I think Luke taught on that, that it's just, it's just a person that carries you know, a message. That's what, that's what that was. They would have known that when they, were, when they were hearing, when they're reading this or hearing it taught, the hearers of this in Ephesians, they would have known what an apostle is. They would have been very clear on that. That would not have been a new word. That's not new vocabulary for them. When Paul's talking to the Ephesians, they know what apostle is. It's someone that carries a message. It's someone that carries the gospel. Well, we all carry the gospel, okay? So in some sense, we all, you know, have an apostolic call. I mean, we carry a message. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, and we carry it to people, okay? But we, we read in Ephesians that God gives gifts to men, and then he mentions these things. And so we know that there is a gift, an apostolic gift, a gift of carrying a message. It's a special gift. Now, let's, understand, let's think about what the word gift means. A gift is something that you don't buy, you don't earn, and you, don't ne- you usually don't pick out the time when it's given to you, normally. Normally, it's handed to you by someone else at a time of their choosing, and you receive it, and it, it is now your gift. It belongs to you now because it was given to you. And, that, and so this word gift, we need to remember that it isn't something that uh, someone has, it isn't a skill necessarily that someone has honed on their own and kind of figured out how to do. Like maybe going to school to learn how to communicate really well so that you can take a message is a good thing to do, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have a gift for carrying a message. Because gifts are given by God. That's what we're told in Ephesians. They're given by God. So in no amount of heavy pedaling, working out in the gym, is going to make it go better if it's a gift, necessarily. Now, uh, some people will say, well, uh, are you just saying that that means that your gift has nothing to do with your skills that you were born with? No, I'm not saying that either. Now, there's a fallacy of thinking. We create a false dichotomy in our minds. And we think it's either that a gift is given to you and it's something that you, you're not good at, and that's the only way it's a gift, or gifts are only things that you're already good at. And we say, well, it's either one or the other. But we're not, ta- we're not taught biblically that that's, the Bible doesn't say doesn't, doesn't um, make that case for us. It doesn't make that argument for us. We make that our own argument. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, though, that it is not a, a gift is a gift. It's not something you got, and it's not something you created yourself. It's something given to you. So, uh, so there is an apostolic gift. Now, here at Legacy, we have a residency uh, where... Uh, Men who, who wonder or, or know or want to know if they're called to go plant 
a church uh, can come and be trained. Um, and in that time, they can find out if they're called or they can, um, or maybe they already know they're called and they just need to go, they just need to be trained. They need to be, they need to learn. And then they need to be launched. Um, then, then we're starting to get into that, that area of an apostolic gift. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone who goes through that has that gift, but it's a good place to find out. One thing uh, that, that we are committed to being, Legacy Church is a church, uh, we're a church plant, but we're a church plant that, that desires to plant churches. And so planting is something where you take, you, you go somewhere else, you take the message with you, and then you hand it off in another place. So it's a, it's a very going kind of thing. That's how, that's how it would kind of separate it maybe from, from pastoring, even though those two things would overlap. And so there might be some of you in here that are like, well, wait a minute. I think I might be called to be sent to carry a message and to plant something and start a new work. You know, the Apostle Paul, that, he had a gifting of uh, an apostolic gifting for sure. Um, I mean, we call him the Apostle Paul and he wrote scripture, I know that. But I'm thinking of it in terms of his life was going, starting new works, then going somewhere else, starting another one, then going somewhere else and starting another one, which kind of made him a little different from some of the others, like James, for instance, who stayed in Jerusalem. So um, that may be you. Now, John Fichet is, is a pastor at, uh, at uh, in Johnson City, and he was at the conference, and he held up this book, and and I looked through it because um, he left it, and so I picked it up off the stage. I'm going to give it back, I promise. But see, it's got the big question mark on it. This is a really good book for you to read if you're wondering if you're called. It's an excellent book. It's by David Harvey, and it's called "Am I Called?" So that's easy to remember. Um, it'd be a really good idea if you're if you're thinking, "Am I called?" And it talks about teaching, pastoring, leading. But it's, it's really focused on, on this idea of being launched, sent, and starting a new work somewhere else. What about pastoring? You know, it's funny. I heard a, an iPod, a, an iPod, I heard an iPod, I heard a podcast um, and, uh, recently, and it was by uh, Tim uh, Chester. And Tim Chester is this British guy at Crowded House, and he, he writes books, but he also, you know, he preaches at his church, and I heard it, and he was, he was giving this long sermon about pastoring, over and over again, pastoring, 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 and I kept hearing the word pastoring, only he wasn't saying it like that, he was saying pestering, because he has that British accent, he say, I kept going, why is he talking about pestering each other? The church just needs to learn how to pester each other, we need to pester each other better, so anyway, not to make fun of him, but I finally figured out, oh, we're supposed to be pastoring each other, we always think of pastor have you ever been able to walk into a room and spot the pastor? I don't mean like a church, because you know the pastor might be up here. But like walk into a room and spot the pastor. You ever been able to do that? Like at, at some kind of event? The, the, the guy who's smiling the most, like, you know, and, and really they usually have a sort of pastor haircut. I guess you go to, you know, the barbershop and you, and you request that, you know. Maybe they have pictures and like, well, here's our, could you take me to the pastor section? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because they have pastors. And they also have youth pastor sections too. Because in the youth pastor section, that's when they start getting cool, spike it up, you know, get the goatee, wear the tight shirt. I'm stealing this stuff, this material from uh, Matt Norman. But um, anyway, but, but then the pastor, pastor, he has a little bit of different style, you know, um, that is actually a sort of a fashion, right? That's what we always think of when we think of the pastor. But I want you to think outside that a little bit. Because that isn't the only kind of pastor that there is. We, in, our, in our culture, especially in the South, we really got this idea of what the, what the pastor looks like. And so it, it, if we really keep the pastor in that box, here's what we have to do. We have to walk into a church and we have to look around and we have to find that guy He's wearing, I mean, he's got the dockers, the shirt ticked in. It's, it's fairly trendy, but, you know, still pastorly enough. The big smile on his face, and we're like, that's the pastor. This is the only guy here who has a gift uh, to pastor. He's the only one that, that Paul's talking about in Ephesians. In this whole, maybe there's a church of 1,200 or 300 or whatever, and that's the guy. That's the only pastor. You think that's true? I think that's the only guy in the room that has a, a gift for pastoring or that has a call to pastor. 
I don't think that's true. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I don't think it does. Um, I think that people uh, have a gift of pastoring in this room right now, and you may not even know it, or you may not know. You, you may feel like you've got something. I've got some call. I've got some gift, but you, maybe you haven't been able to put your finger on it yet. Um, now, again, I bring up the residency again. Uh, we have a residency. Well, some people are not going to be called to plant new works. They're not going to be called to go to a different city and plant a new church. They may be called to go with someone who's going to do that. Or they may be called to stay. James stayed in Jerusalem. They may be called to, to stay in one location. I, I believe God's called me to Knoxville. Just Knoxville. Just this place, this city. So I'm not going to Seattle. I'm not going to, you know, uh, wherever. I'm not going to California. I'm not, I'm not leaving here as I'm called here. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not called to pastor. See, pastoring is shepherding. So I want to look, let, let's, let's look in our Bibles here and uh, let's go to, let's go to, where is it, Kevin? I had it. I was so close. Okay, well, let's not go there. You can keep your Bibles open, but let's not go there. But we know uh, that the Scripture tells us that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And mo most of you are familiar with that, and all you have to do is look it up. But we're told in Scripture that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And the shepherd is what the pastor is, and the pastor is what the shepherd is. Okay, But we're also told that we have been, we have been given shepherds, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay? Shepherds. Now, it's impossible for that one guy in the church to do that for everyone, right? We have to be pestering each other. So, one place that that can happen is in our uh, communities on mission. Because some of you uh, are in a community and you're seeing the need for people to be shepherded. You're seeing the need for people to be pastored. You're seeing a, a need for people to be counseled from the Word of God. You're seeing the need for the gospel to be ministered to them. And you, you have been given as a gift the capacity to do it. Yeah, but I haven't been trained formally. Yeah, but I haven't, you know, I haven't been to school or I haven't this or that. Yeah, but, and, and that's all good. You could be. But... It's a gift. It's something that you have. It's, it's, and it's something that others are able to kind of affirm in you. That's one of the ways that we can kind of test this. And one of the mistakes that you can make uh, when you are the owner of a motorcycle, when you first get it, is you can start to think that kind of you control it. Like you control the thing. Like this is, I'm, I'm on, it's kind of like a bicycle. You think, you're thinking of it like a car. You're thinking of it like a bicycle, right? When you turn the corner on a bicycle, uh, you, you know, if you're going really fast, you don't do this. But if you're kind of just wobbling around, you, you kind of turn the handlebars, right? Or you're driving a car, you turn that wheel. When you're on a motorcycle, you don't do that. And you, if you, I want you to look at the picture here for a second. He's, he's turning, he's right here, he's, he's, going, he's moving into a, a turn. He's moving into turning a corner. Um, but look at his wheel. It isn't turning into the corner, is it? And those of you who have ridden the motorcycle, you understand how this works. He's not doing that. He's, he's not forcing that motorcycle around the corner, is he? If you've ever ridden a motorcycle and you do that, you'll only do that once. You'll never do that again. What you have to do is you have to have enough speed for one thing. And then you, you kind of lean into the turn. And you kind of, you actually sort of not pull on the side you want to turn, but you kind of actually push a little. You just barely, you kind of push. So that your wheel is actually turning the opposite direction from, it's, it's actually pointing the opposite direction from where you are turning. 
So then the motorcycle turned. You have to kind of finesse it around the corner. You don't force anything on the motorcycle. You don't even have to use that much balance. I thought riding a, a motorcycle is all about balance. Like I have really good balance. Look, I'm on a motorcycle. You, don't even, you hardly need it. It's not like a bicycle. You're not just going to plop over. I mean, the speed and then the very tiny bit of balance that you have, uh, that you need, is all, is all you need. It, 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 it really holds you up. The, the engine, the, just the power of it and the speed that you have, that's what keeps you up. That's what keeps you going. And what we think, what we think about a, being, uh, a, you know, having an apostolic, apostolic gift of pastoring, teaching, leadership, what we often, often think is that we are the ones making it go. We're the ones, we're the ones peddling. We're the ones working. We're the ones making. I, I'm a good pastor because I've learned how to be a good pastor. I, I'm a good pastor because I study how to be a good pastor. I'm a, I'm a good pastor because I've, you know, I try really hard to care about people. Um, I, I'm a good pastor because I know what's good for others. And then I tell them, you know, uh, it's, it's me. I'm peddling this thing. I'm making it go. You know, I, it's, it's a sweat off of my brow. And, and that is a problem. That, that ends up being, that, that turns into a crash. Motorcycle crash is what it turns into. Because it isn't you keeping it up. It isn't you when you are, when you have a gift of teaching it isn't you that's causing people to respond to the gospel or causing them to understand something that, you, uh, that they didn't understand before. That isn't what's holding it up. It's the power of the Spirit of God that's doing that. And I want us to think about Jesus for a moment. Um, many times we, we, we don't realize this. Uh, and now I do have a scripture for you to turn to. So Matthew three sixteen. I want you to turn to that. Matthew three sixteen through seventeen. Um, now Jesus was the Son of God, so obviously he lived a perfect life, the perfect life we couldn't live. We know that. And then he died the death that we deserved. We know that, and that's what made him a perfect sacrifice. We know that. But we often think that Jesus was kind of the Lone Ranger down here on Earth. Doing things, making, you know, being a good pastor, being a good shepherd, being a good apostle, being, having all of these giftings, you know, demonstrated perfectly. Uh, we just think that he just kind of did that all on his own. After all, he's Jesus. And that's hard to argue with, isn't it? But I think we can argue with it. I think we can. Let's read Matthew. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It says it was the Spirit of God descending. Okay, we often get confused and think that a dove descended. It actually says the Spirit of God descended and rested and it wasn't a touch and go it wasn't like hi jesus pat him on the back back up to heaven we know that there's proof of that in matthew 4 1 where it says then jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil he was led up by the spirit he was led by the spirit that means Jesus did, this may be hard for us to, to kind of comprehend. Jesus didn't have that idea. He didn't wake up in the morning and think, I have a good idea. I know how to make this ministry thing work. I need to go to the desert first. It says he was led by the Spirit, by another person other than himself. Well, we know that the Father, Spirit, and Son are all one. But there are also three persons, three people. It always sounds weird to say three persons. Sounds weird to say three people, too. Okay, we'll go back to persons. But it is the Spirit leading him, not him leading himself. So when we have a gift and we're led by ourselves instead of the Spirit, then we start moving into abuse of that gift. 
abuse of that gift. So for, you know, having an apostolic gift, like say you, you have a gift for, for, for going and starting new works, carrying the message, carrying the gospel uh, to those maybe who don't know it or to a new place. I mean, that can kind of start, start looking like you starting your own movement. You kind of have to watch for this. Watch it in yourself and watch it in others. Watch for it. Starting a movement that's centered around your great ideas, that's an abuse. You may still be gifted. But if people are talking more about your good ideas, man, that's an awesome way to do it. That is so cool. And they're talking more about that than they're talking about the gospel that you're called to, to uh, carry. Then you might be starting a movement centered around your good ideas. And this can happen in a big way or a small way. So some of you are sitting here thinking, oh, that doesn't matter to me at all because I'm never going to plant a church. Yeah, but this can happen in your community as well. Hey, guys, I have this cool idea for our community. Let's start doing it this way. Let's start carrying it. To, let's, start, let's start going to our neighbors and doing this and that. And what starts out being a great thing of, of, of carrying the gospel, starting a new work. Let's divide here. Let's, let's, let's always do it like this. Let's have this formula. You know, we'll multiply, divide, multiply, divide. And, and then people start talking, man, that's the coolest idea I've ever heard of. And they just start talking about, yeah, that, that Kevin, he had a really good idea with the communities. And then they happened. And then that's, how, that, that's a movement that you've started. And it's centered around your good ideas. And it could be an abuse. You have to watch for that. Another one is assuming that everyone uh, is called to, to follow you. I, and here's what I mean. You are called. And you know, you're confer- and, and the Holy Spirit confirms it in your heart. And you're called to go. And you go, but then you assume that everyone around you is also called. To who? To you. Right? So then you, you get offended that people aren't, people aren't ca- catching your vision, you know, and they're not, they're not seeing it your way, and they're walking and stuff like that. And so you start trying to do things to keep them there, and you start, you know, kind of spiritually manipulating them and telling them, listen, I've heard from God himself, and you need to follow me. And I, I, there's, I'm not going to call them by name because I don't want to embarrass them, uh, you know, but, but it's a good thing. It's a compliment. We have a family here at Legacy that I respect deeply because of the way that they handled, and there's more than one, by the way, the way that they handled this. This new work here in, um, in Knoxville is a church plant. That means that, uh, and, and, and Luke is our lead pastor and lead planter, uh, hearing that call from God, coming here and planting. And then we, we came and, and joined and planted with him. But, uh, but then, you know, he could really, he could really, be tempted to assume that everybody, everybody should love this. Everybody should, everybody should be on board, right? I mean, that could be a real temptation. And, but there's a family here, that, and, they, and they came, and they, and they checked us out, and then they didn't stay. And they went somewhere else, and they checked out some other things. And, and here's what they were doing. They weren't just checking things out like shopping. They were praying to God, and they were asking him, where should we be? Where is it that you want us to be? And now we're in this new place, and it seems fine. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. But, but yet we still feel called. We still we feel called back to legacy. Now, okay, Lord, we're going to follow your call, and then we're going to go. And, and they took it seriously. They were, they, they were determined to follow God's lead and not follow a man, and not follow a man's movement or uh, men's movement. And, I, and, and I, I can learn from that. That's a beautiful thing to watch. And they take it seriously because, hey, this is their family. They're not going to play around with this. I mean, he's like, this is my family. This is my wife and my family. I'm not just going to go follow just any old body. I mean, I want, I want to be led by the Lord. That's, that's really how it should look. When it doesn't look like that, it can be an abuse. Now, pastoring... Um, I'm going to start going down a, a little bit of a list of apostle, pastor, teaching, leadership, uh, administration, helping, and evangelism. And I really want to talk about uh, what they could look like practically for you. And then I want to talk about what they could look like if they're, you know, abused. Uh, and that way we can kind of get really practical. Um, 
so that's how these, these gifts will work, and they won't be as mis- We'll get to see uh, more mystical things next week when Luke preaches, prophesies, and speaks in tongues. So, uh, with pastoring, in the residency, we've already talked about that. But one, one way that, that you could think of pastoring is eldership. You could be that God is stirring in your heart, some of you men, uh, a desire to be a shepherd of people. It might start in your, in your community where God starts putting a real burden on your heart for people, a compassion. You start seeing them. Remember Jesus said, remember Jesus said he saw them there as sheep and he had compassion on them? What if you feel that when you're looking around people and you see their situations in their lives and you start to really want you really want the gospel to work in their lives. You want to see freedom in their lives. You want to see something good come to them. You, you, and, and it's just like burning in your heart. What if you're starting to feel that? It could be that God is gifting you with a shepherding gift. A shepherd is one who he leads, but he gathers. He nurtures. He feeds. A shepherd takes care of a flock. That's why we call it a shepherd. And that's what the pastor is. And here at Legacy, our elders, we're pastors. That's what we are. We're shepherds. That's, how, that's what we do here at Legacy. That's what we believe is biblical. We have a, a plurality, even though we have different roles. We have a plurality of, of men who shepherd. That's, that's what we're called to do. Now, that doesn't mean come up and hey, I want to sign up to be an elder today. No. Um... There's a process, and part of that process is our residency. And then part of it could be, and, and of course, there's a lot of reading that goes on, but this book is a really good one to read, too. I don't know why I'm plugging this somebody. I just saw this, and I flipped through it, and I thought, this is excellent. This is an excellent book. But also, the residency will help you. Um, will help you with that calling. Where exactly is your calling? Are you a shepherd? Are you... Are you gifted with evangelism? I don't know. Are you, are you gifted with an apostolic gift? Are you gifted as a pastor, as a shepherd? And if so, if launched or whether you stay or not, it could, that could lead to a, a process where eldership could, could come down the road. Uh, we do take that very seriously here, so that's why we don't have just a sign-up sheet for elders over there. Um, but, but it is something that we do like to affirm that, that there are people sitting in this room right now who are called to be elders. Who are called to be shepherds. They're called to be pastors. Now, this can be, really be abused, uh, and, and we know that. That's kind of a duh moment. But I want to talk about just a couple of ways it can be abused. abused. Um, one way that, that pastoring, uh, a pastoring gift can be abused is uh, giving self-serving counsel. So this can be true even in your communities when you're, when you're pastoring each other, even though you're not a, you know, an elder. Uh, but, but we all, at some level, pastor each other. And some of us have that, a gift for that. We're pastoring each other. Uh, but sometimes what we do is we like to give counsel to people uh, in a way that's going to serve ourselves. I mean, we, we can really be given to that. You know? Like, you, oh, I just really think, I really feel like that God wants you uh, at the dung gate. You know, I'm thinking of Nehemiah. Um, we heard uh, some teaching on that. In our, in, our, in our teaching of Nehemiah, Luke did a good job of describing the dung gate. That's the gate where all the animals go out and poop. And then he had to build a wall there. Like, fun, right? And we're like, we're thinking, oh, I just think, I think God's given you a gift for cleaning up dung. You know, we counsel with someone like that. I really think it would be good for your soul if you did that. You know, I think... I think this will, this will really help you. You know, I, think, I feel like God's leading you in that direction. You know, it, it can be so easy as pastors to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't counsel that sounds like that. But it has to be led by the Spirit. And it has to be, uh, well, leading uh, the, the sheep and the flock where they need to go. So the shepherd doesn't lead uh, his, th- those who are under his care in the place where he wants to go that serves him. So you can think about the, the analogy of the shepherd. He's out there, he's, he's got his staff, he's got his sheep, and he's like, I don't really like this pastor very much. I like this one over here. I like this pasture, is what I'm saying. 
I like this field over here because I can see the sunrise better or whatever. So I'm just going to lead them all over here. Yeah, there's nothing but weeds and thistles, but they can, they, they can cope, right? Leading them so that it's self-serving. That, that's, that's how we can abuse our gift as pastor. Because if you have a gift of pastoring, you're going to find that people are going to, they're going to follow you. I mean, it, because it's not, it's not you doing it, it. It's a gift. And so people will follow you, even if you lead them the wrong way. They'll follow you. They'll follow you off a cliff sometimes. And so that's what it can look like if it's, if it's abused. Um, pastoring out of a place of pride instead of a place of humility. Starting to exaggerate in your own mind your authority in people's lives and influence in their lives. Starting to really build up and, and kind of beef up that calling to have authority in the church. Because there is an authority that comes with a pastor, with, with a gift of pastoring and with shepherding. Just like the responsibility that comes with it, there's an authority. But if we start to exaggerate that authority, then we're in a place of pride. How come you're not listening to me? I'm your pastor. And that starts turning into something that's a little more like spiritual manipulation. I'm going to manipulate you because you know the Bible says obey your leaders and we point them to that scripture first. Obey your leaders in the Lord. It says right here, I'm asking you to do something. You need to do it. That could be. That could be a way that pastors can, can uh, abuse their gift. Teaching. Do you know, for the longest time, I, and I still, up to this day, have, have had a hard time um, thinking about teaching as a spiritual gift. Part of the reason is because I'm, a, well, I'm an art teacher, a middle school art teacher, and I went to school to learn how to teach. So I kind of, you know, I learned some things. I learned some techniques, and, uh, and I read books, and I wrote papers, and, and, uh, and, and I learned some things about teaching. And it's a skill, I realized. And, and some of the people I'm, you know, I teach with, some of my colleagues, they would go even further and say, no, it's a science. You know, and then they would even say, it's an art. You know, it's, a, it's all those things. And so because it's so skill-based, isn't it hard to think of it as a gift? It's a little bit hard to think of it that way. But we're told in Scripture that it is a gift, that teaching is a, is, is a gift. Now, at, at some level, we all teach, don't we? Well, you, well, of course you do. If you're a parent, you teach. For sure. If you're a parent, then you're a teacher all the time. And in Colossians, we're told to admonish and teach each other with all wisdom. And there are no exceptions in that. It just says you just do it with one another. You teach one another. So at some level, we're all teaching each other. And we can all learn from each other. But there is a spiritual gift of teaching. Have you ever had someone just explain something to you and you've had it explained to you a hundred times but then you see it when they explain it to you. All, it's just, my dad was that way. I was, I was horrible at math. I was terrible at math. My dad was a math teacher. And I'm telling you, my teachers would, would show me things. I would get tutored uh, you know, my mom would try to help me. My dad would sit down and, and kind of show me, you know, in just his own words. And I would get it. I would learn something. I, it just was amazing. A gift of teaching. And at that time, he wasn't even a pastor or anything. He was just a, he was just a school teacher. He definitely had a gift of teaching. So... Teaching can be done at all different levels. It doesn't have to be done from up here. It doesn't have to be done back in the auditorium down the hall. Um, it can be done in our communities. It is done in our communities. So there are people in your communities who can teach. Some of you are sitting in this room and you have a gift for teaching. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, exposit the entire book of Galatians and, and then, you know, teach from up here. It, it could be that you're just teaching your community uh, some of the basics of the gospel or gospel fluency. Maybe you're teaching them a little bit about mission 
being on mission that they didn't know before. Or something about community they didn't know. Something about the gospel. Some facet of it that they have never seen before. Maybe with only one scripture at a time. See, there's a, there are great places for you to do that here right now. Now, some of you are community leaders and you'll be teaching. But some of you are community leaders and you'll recognize somebody in your community who can teach. And so you will, you'll have them teach. You'll, it, we have a children's ministry here where, as Luke pointed out, we teach our children. We don't just give them activities to do. We teach them. Maybe you feel like you have a gift of teaching. You could, you could teach our, you, you could talk to someone about teaching our children. Of course, teaching, because of its, uh, in, you know, its power and its influence, it has, some, it has some areas where it can be easily abused. Easily abused. Teaching outside the gospel. That's an abuse of teaching. And we, we, and we learned about that in Galatians. And we had guys that were, it was like Jesus plus something. That's, that's an abuse. Any t- if you are a Bible teacher and you teach something other than the gospel, then that's abuse of, of the gift of teaching. Because the Holy Spirit can only testify and be a witness to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, it's not, uh, Holy Spirit, He is not going to be a witness or, or testify of anything else um, but that. And so we can't do that with a gift of teaching. We, we might do that on our own, but we're not going to do that with a gift of teaching. That would be, that's an abuse. Um, and we can all easily fall into that. Another abuse is, is teaching uh, that's designed to just modify people's behavior. Like it's, it's just designed, it's, it's only to get you to, to act differently. I'm going to give you three things to do and these things are going to change your behavior. And so this is going to make you uh, more righteous before God. I, I, I'm going to teach you to modify your behavior. And that, that can be an easy thing to do. Because when people come to you and they, and, and you, and they need something, counsel from you, and you're going to teach them, then it's going to be, you're going to want to solve the problem for them, aren't you? And you may think in your mind, I've got, I've got, I've got three things you could do right now to change that. And so, and they may actually go off and do it because you have a gift of teaching. They'd be like, ding, yeah, because it may be great truths. It may be great biblical principles. They may be true. But it's teaching to modify their behavior, not to point them to the gospel for transformation. Teaching, uh, being, I'm sorry, being unteachable. Being yourself as a teacher, unteachable. That can be a, a really dangerous abuse. Now, have you ever met somebody who, and I know I'm thinking of someone in my mind right now. I'm not going to say their name, but I'm thinking of them. Have you ever met someone who in every situation, no matter what it is, without even trying, they start leading these are, now, we loved those kids in school, right? Because we wanted them in our group. Because, then, you know, I especially did. Because I just wanted to sit down and let somebody else take the lead. You know, I'd kind of sit down. I, I would put on the kind of the dumb act. Like, uh, wait, what are we doing? What was the assignment? And then, and just kind of look around for the person that is the natural leader that, like, jumps in. Here's what we've got to do, people. Here's a goal. Got to do this. Got to do Wait a minute. This isn't right. Let's fix that. Let the... Have you ever met someone who does that? Who they just walk in. You might have someone in your community right now that you're thinking of. They just put things together. Things happen. They sort of make things happen. It, now, a person who... Now, there are people who can learn how to do that. They can read books. They can become leaders. And at some level, we will all lead. At some level, we will all lead. But there are some people, they just can't help it. They can't help but lead. They just walk in the room and they just start leading. They'll even say, okay, I'm not leading this. They just let it, you know. <laughs> okay, we'll do what you say. Yes, leader, you know. We won't let you lead it. You know? I mean, it's just like they just lead. They can't, everything they say points in a direction. Makes you think. 
makes you change something. There are people like that. That's a gift of leadership. And we have it in varying degrees. And many of you sitting in this room have a gift of leadership. And I'm thinking in, in my community, um, are they over here? I want to look around and see if they're here. Okay, before they, I'm calling out their name before. All right, yeah, so Sean and Jen, they're in our community. And they, they, kinda, they kind of, uh, Jen kind of does this. She, she kind of, you know, when, I, when we started casting vision for mission for our community, she started, she started kind of putting things out there. Well, listen, here's what I think, uh, you know, mission ought to be. We ought to be thinking of, of really helping people, not just punching our ticket. And doing, I, I, all I did was put it out there. She grabbed hold of it and started talking. And all of a sudden, all, all the eyes are on her. They're listening to her and what she's saying. She starts taking initiative. She starts making phone calls. Uh, she gives us, gives us our first... Uh, lands us our first opportunity uh, to serve uh, by giving a shower to a lady that didn't have a shower, you know, serving uh, foster parents and, their, and workers through um, uh, an organization that she got in touch with. Now, she's not, she has, her heart is for foster kids. Her heart is for foster parents. That's, that's what she's thinking about. She's thinking about serving them and taking the gospel to them. She's not thinking about, I want to be a leader. That's often a sign of a person that may have a gift of leadership is that they start leading and they don't realize they're leading. You have to kind of point it out. Did you realize you're leading this thing? You do understand and now and, and people are following your lead? Look for people like that in your communities. You might be one of those people. Um, we need leaders for our communities on mission. Because we, we're going to grow. And, and we, so we need leaders who are, who are getting ready to lead. We need people to serve uh, in ways like Trevor does, where he leads our ops group. Is that what it's called? Ops. Yeah, we set up on Sunday mornings, or they do. And, and um, you know, the curtains, the screen, all this stuff gets set up by this group that uh, Trevor's leading. I mean, we need, we need people to, to lead. Eventually, we're going to need more people. He, maybe he needs someone to lead another aspect of it or, or something like that. These are things that we, that we need as a church, as a church plant. DNA groups are really small groups designed for us to grow in, in uh, pairs of three or four people that we've started in our communities. And that takes a person who initiates this. Because we, we hardly ever accidentally bump into each other and go, hey, let's minister the gospel to each other. Oh, oh hey, yeah. We, we hardly ever do that. We usually need someone to initiate it, call us up on the phone and say, let's go meet at uh, Starbucks and let's, let's talk. You know, let's go through a scripture together. Let's grow. Let's pray. So you may be a person that, you're, that you hear that and you're like, yeah, I want to do that. That's a way that you can lead. You may have, you may have done that and not realized you've done it. You may not have even known that that's what you were doing. You may have that gift of leadership. Now, when it's abused, here's what happens when people start knowing they have a gift of leadership. Yeah, I got it. I'm a born natural leader. I can't help it. Whatever I do, I lead people. You start leading out of the power and force of your personality. Because maybe you have one of those personalities that tends to make people, when you speak, they listen. You know? And in my school, there's a teacher. She has the loudest voice I've ever heard. She can walk into a gym or a cafeteria, and she can command the attention of 200 kids easily. And teachers. I mean, she says something. I turn. I'm like, yeah, I better listen. And she's only like four foot seven. She's a great teacher. But she has this force of her personality that commands attention. And what sometimes we do as leaders is we may have that and then we start to use it instead of our gift of leadership. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll expect people, we'll, we'll start leading them in areas we would like them to do that kind of maybe self-serving, maybe, maybe it's something that they don't want to do. And so instead of, instead of um, you know, encouraging them in the gospel or praying or being patient with them to grow at the rate they're growing... We'll kind of insert, we'll kind of 
exercise our force of our personality to kind of get them going in that direction. It's a fine line because God gave us this personality we have, but it can be abusive. It can be an abuse. Trying to lead people to be more like you. And that's, that could be a tough one to do because, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I kind of think, you know, I like me and I like how I am and I like the way I do things. And so I think maybe it'd be better if everybody else was a little more like me. Uh, if, they just, if they just thought a little more like me, the world might be a little better, bit better of a, pl- a better place. People would treat me better because they would know how I am and then they would know how to treat me. Uh, and so that's kind of what we want to lead people. Instead of leading them to, uh, to the unique way that God has made them to, into leading them and to grow in that way, uh, we would lead them to be a little bit more like us. I want, you to, I want you just to look a little more like me. Instead of looking a little more like Jesus. Now, uh, I, I mentioned to you that, that uh, my wife changed all that, all that um, when, I was, when I was young and, and I was washing my clothes in the sink. And that's not an exaggeration. That's true. I did that. I didn't use laundry soap. And anyway, when I met her, I realized something about my wife. She could make, she could kind of get things done. Um, see, I had this problem. I would get the bill in the mail. I would look at the bill. I would set the bill down. I would forget to pay the bill. The lights would get turned off. Now, we weren't married yet. I lived in a house with my friend, uh, co-motorcycle owner. Um, we didn't have any furniture. That's too much trouble. You have to go buy it. But Rebecca, she, she saw this, saw this situation, and she had... She had a little bit of a gift, I noticed that right off the bat, of, of how to sort of get things done. Like, she, if you give her a, a set of, of issues, problems, or tasks, she could get through those things and make them happen. So, you know, wake up in the morning, uh, you know, at the, at the, the crack of, of 10 o'clock in the afternoon, or in the, in the morning, I don't know. I didn't, the sun's way up, that's all I know. She knocks on the door, hey, this is my day off, what's going on? I go to the door. She's like, hi, I'm here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do your laundry and we're going to pay bills. I'm like, ah, oh, I think I can, like, if I don't pay it, like, for three more days, I don't think they'll cut it off. You know, she's like, no. She bursts in the door. Where are the bills? They're all over the place, you know. So we're gathering them all up. Got, you know, my laundry, you know. It, 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 you know, she's, she's, like, holding it like this, you know. Put it in a bag. We get in the car. And, and we're doing things, like going in order. And I'm like, this is amazing. So like if you make a list and actually do the things on the list, at the end of the list, those things are done. <laughs> I don't really have a gift of administration. Now, I have learned over time how to administrate some things because that's a necessity. I'm a teacher. Um, and then work that I do here at Legacy is it, 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 some of it is administrative in nature, some of it. It, it just has to be done. But the, the gifting's not there. It's not there because I don't see those things. She does. She sees those things. She's like, well, if you just put that on a calendar and plan it, then you'll know when that's going to happen. Oh. She's like, use your phone to, to remind you. Whoa. I've been on time for my morning duty all year long at school because it's on my phone. So it's really cool. She, so you may know someone like that or you might be that person able to get things done, able to, to sort of um, see the list of things and, and able to get through it. Now, I don't know how you, how you abuse that necessarily, except maybe, uh, you know, to over-delegate. You're so good at administration that everyone's doing stuff but, but you. <laughs> so that's all, I, that's all I can think of. You've scheduled yourself out of the work, you know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a way to abuse that. I think King David did that, and that's, that's when he saw Bathsheba. So he was supposed to be out the war. He had delegated all that to everybody else, and he was laying around on a couch. So um, that can happen. That can be an abuse of that. And, uh, so, and, and there's a couple more that I want to talk about. Um, evangelism, uh, is, I want to go there next, and then helping last, not because helping is uh, the least, but, and then I'll close out. But 
I just wanted to end with helping because I think it's one of the most important. Chase and I were talking about that this morning. Evangelism overlaps a lot with the apostolic gift and the, and the leadership gift and the pastoring gift. But evangelism is like, uh, that's like a gift of wanting to take the gospel to people who don't have the gospel. And so uh, a great place to do that here is the laundromat across the street at the family bubble. Uh, Luke does that every week. He'll meet people and he knows good and well that they may, they, they probably don't know Jesus. Um, he, he talks to them. People who go and serve there, it, it's just all, the whole time, it's basically just meeting strangers. And when you have a gift of evangelism, and if you've ever seen anyone do this, uh, it's, pre- it's pretty amazing. You start seeing uh, things happen and people um, accepting the gospel and people, you know, uh, trusting Jesus right there. And you'll just see it happen because it's the Holy Spirit moving through a gift of evangelism. And so, again, uh, the residency is a great place for you on that. Also, our, um, our communities on mission, great place for that. Because what I was telling you about Jen and her uh, leading us into that mission, that's, that is, uh, that's where we need people with gifts of evangelism because we don't want to just demonstrate the gospel through action. We want to proclaim it uh, with our mouths. Um, and so I, want, I think that the main thing that I was thinking uh, about evangelism with, with it being an abuse is if you just, um, you just equate save, souls that you've seen saved um, with your own worth, you know, as if you have a gift of evangelism, um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're racking up points for yourself just because you see like 10 people saved. And then this guy over here, this person like me, uh, who, I mean, it just, it just takes a whole lot of work for me to explain the gospel to a stranger. Uh, and, and so I don't have, I don't have like a lot of notches, you know, of people, you know, falling down on their knees, being saved in front of me. Uh, someone might look at someone like that and go, oh, well, you know, you need to, you know, you need a better game, buddy, you know, and start kind of puffing up. That can be a, an abuse of a gift of evangelism. Now, I, this weekend, I'm, I'm about to close, but I'm going to stop on helping. I want to talk about moving. Um, I was telling Chase this morning as we were setting up for worship, I was thinking, you know, I show up to help people move. We helped Lena and Dion move to their new place this this weekend. They're uh, new house, and I was thinking, I show up to help move, but I don't always feel like I'm that helpful. I, you know, I mean, I remember, see, Luke's laughing, because he remembers me saying once when I was trying to lift a TV, I was like, man, it's awkward, and he said, yeah, lifting is awkward, isn't it, you know, <laughs> it is, and I was like, you know what, Luke's right, lifting anything is awkward, it's better if I just leave it there, you know, because, you know, and, and, and I just, I, just, I kind of wander around. I, I don't know. I'm like, well, there's the truck. There's the stuff. I guess I'll, do I put it in? You know, I, I want to help. I mean, my, my heart's there, you know. Jeremy can attest to this. I'm walking around. I'm pretty much not good for anything but drinking coffee and telling jokes, you know, and puns and stuff. <laughs> I lift a box here and there. I tr- now, I could, I could step up my game. I could work on that, okay? I really could. But you ever had the, the person show up at the move and then and they just know what to do. They start helping. They, they know how to put the boxes in the, in the truck. They know how, what order we need to get started on things. You know, they, they, they're just helpful people. Like they just walk in and, they, and without even trying that hard, they're helping. They may have a gift of leadership too. All kind of, and administration. Maybe they're all working. Maybe they're the guy who, who called up everybody and made sure that, that people showed up to help move. Maybe they're the, the, the ones that, that led everybody to sacrificially help somebody move. You know, they're leading. But then maybe they're just, they're just good at helping. Like, they just make things happen. It just stuff just happens. And, and, they, and you, they don't ever want the credit for it. They're never like, see, I want credit. I want, like, you know, I want everyone to know I'm here to move, you know, park my car in the front. Well, it's so sacrificial. The, the person who's, who's got a gift of, of helping, which is mentioned in Scripture as one of the gifts, he, uh, he or she's not going to look for that. They're just going to, you may never even know who these people are. I don't know. Maybe, they, they, maybe they're the person that makes sure that this, you know, screen spandex thing is stretched out the right way or whatever. And things you don't ever notice. We used to have a guy on, uh, on our worship team uh, in Tampa who would just bring bottles of water. We never asked for that, you know, as the worship team. And then we would get there, and then there would just be a pack of waters there waiting for us. 
So helpful. He thought of it first. It's sort of like, he, you know, a, a person who's helpful anticipates needs. And then, and then they figure out ways to fulfill those needs. And that's actually a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the best ones. And that's why I wanted to save it for last. It's one of the best ones. And the reason, I think, is because it's so much like the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The Holy Spirit is called a helper. Many times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the helper. And when people are helped, they're helped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit, though, is uh, not... uh, It's kind of... The Bible describes kind of like the wind. Where does it come from? Where does it go? We see the effect. But we don't see... Anyone trying to get all the credit. We don't see that. We see someone pointing to someone else. So that's what a person who has a gift of helps does. They're always pointing to Jesus. They're always, they always came to serve as he did not to be served. And I know you're thinking of people in your mind right now that fit that bill. In Phoenix, when I... Um, lived there and I would ride my motorcycle off into uh, every Friday off into the horizon. It was kind of flat there too. Maybe some short, you know, short hills. I used to see the most beautiful sunsets. As, as the sun was going down, the sky would be purple and then the hills would just be black against the, a silhouetted against that sky. And then the purple would fade into orange. And as an artist... If you're an artist, you would know that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, Orange and uh, purple, they don't blend without making a neutral and turning to brown. But in the sky, it doesn't happen. God is a better artist. He's the original artist, and he's figured out a way to blend purple into red and orange uh, seamlessly. And I remember that some of the best uh, memories of my life are, are driving that motorcycle, the wind in my hair, going toward that sunset. When we are working in the spiritual gifts, when we are working with the Holy Spirit empowering us, being the motor, it isn't about holding us up. It isn't about that good feeling of the wind in our hair. And it isn't about us looking cool, like that picture I showed you, you know, on a motorcycle. It's about where we're going. It's about where it's taking you. The Holy Spirit always takes you to the glory of God. The Holy Spirit always takes you to the beauty that is Him. It always takes you to the beauty of the gospel. It never takes you for the sake of taking you. It takes you to Him. 